0: From the hills of central New York in the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank Rossi. My guest on this episode of Frankly Speaking is John Riley, the director of agronomy at the resort at Longboat Key on the Gulf Coast of Florida. John has a bachelor's of arts degree in psychology from Villanova University, a master's in clinical psychology from Westchester University of Pennsylvania, and of course is a proud graduate of the Rutgers Turf Management Certificate Program. John has become an outspoken proponent of data-driven golf management, and as we learned, it's exactly how he conned me into getting on the show. Before we get to my conversation with John, data-driven management will invariably include nutrient and pesticide applications. And for precision in those applications, you need our partners at Frost Spray Technologies. You should buy your next sprayer from a sprayer company, not a mower company. Learn more about all that Frost offers at FrostServe.com. That's frostserv.com. John Riley, welcome to Frankly Speaking, the director of agronomy at Longboat Key. I believe it's on the Gulf Coast. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I wonder if for our listeners, if you couldn't start out by talking a little bit about your journey... What I'm really interested in is how does a Philly guy with a bachelor's degree in psychology from Villanova wind up in the grass business? Why don't we just start with that little fork in the road, so to speak, John?
1: Oh, that's perfect place to start. I'll quickly go through it. Came from a family of caddies, kind of a blue-collar west suburb of Philadelphia. Parents grew up in Philly, row homes, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. My dad and my brothers caddied, and I was a punk, and you can ask uh, (laughs) my first boss, Armin Suni. And so I caddied at the Great Rolling Green. Hanging around with the uh, ginned up mobsters for four and a half hours wasn't my cup of tea. So it took more to the maintenance side. So mm-hmm. I talked Armin into hiring me as a 13-year-old kid. I told him I could drive stick, which I couldn't. <laughs> and his story is that all the problems on the golf course stopped because my buddies uh, had a tendency to party there after hours, that mm-hmm. all the problems stopped once he hired me. It okay. <clears throat> doesn't always go over well <laughs> if Armin's got you in a lineup for a private club job, and he tells the brass there that you know once he hired me, all the vandalism stopped. <laughs> so, but that was a start, and I really loved doing it. But I was kind of a smart kid too, so uh, in my family, coming up from blue collar background, everybody went to college. Everybody, uh, a lot of people have graduate degrees. And I do as well I always worked in the golf business I Always worked in golf maintenance So mm-hmm. most of it at Rolling Green in the beginning Through high school and college Always kept a part-time job I worked in the social work business in Florida So I always had a, a part-time gig I love golf and that was a way to get free golf. And when I got divorced, uh, my first marriage, uh, I went back to Rutgers and uh, I went into the turf business. I did do a small stint for the quarterback of the Eagles, Ron Jaworski, as a general manager in Delaware. But I was really always interested in uh, being a golf course superintendent.
0: And having that background, at least, you know, in psychology, right? You're the second psychology major I've had on the show in the last three episodes. So it's not an Uncommon degree, uh, believe it or not. And Amy Foudy is the guest I'm talking about. And you know she works in sports turf, much like in golf, right? You have a lot of different audiences and trying to communicate lots of different things. But John, before we go any further, you know what I think I hear you saying, and I get the sense from what I see of you publicly anyway, is you know you like grown grass. (laughs) It seems like you know being on the golf course is home for you, and taking care of the grass, especially knowing what you're able to provide for your membership seems to really be embodied in you. I I think one of the things I've noticed from superintendents that I feel like really excel uh, in this profession is they're very service-minded, right? You know, it doesn't mean you do whatever the people ask you to do. You try not to say no as much as possible, but you do also let people know what the consequences are uh, for some of their decisions. And it seems like you have this really good service-mindedness. And I'm wondering what is it like at a big operation like that? You know, you got a marina, you got what you, 45 holes of golf, and we'll get to the actual grass part, but can you give me a 30,000-foot view of what it's like at a massive facility like that on a, on a regular basis?
1: There's a lot of moving parts and I'm lucky because I'm involved in a, I get to touch a lot of the resort. It's a resort. It's a private club. It's west of Sarasota. It's on the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, environmentally, it has different aspects to it. You know, I heard a kind of a, a smart way of looking at just being a golf course superintendent. I can't remember where I heard it, but the aspect of kind of being a general contractor, being able to uh, shift from talking about soffits on a halfway house to uh, you know, the Krebs cycle and you know, quickly. <laughs> I love that. It never gets anywhere boring or repetitive. Today I, you know, had a discussion with A general manager about an SUV we're buying to drive people around to maybe join the club, getting new screens for the GPS because 5G is now the only way it can go. When we bought them a few years back, it was a 3G deal. So those types of things. I'm in Orlando. I'm at the Florida Turfgrass show. So it's this crazy wild world, and it's big, and you never run it. It kind of runs you. Mm -hmm. Any given day is not the same. It's like a snowflake.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm interested in is how you find your voice in there. When you're in a big operation, you're one of many parts of the puzzle. You're charged with the particular aspect of the landscape and the care of that land, right? And meeting the resort guests and the private members' needs on a routine basis. But, you know, you also have to be sort of collaborative, right? Because, as you know, uh, sometimes there's competing priorities at large uh, operations like what you have there. You know, our pal Andy has that many times, right? He's working with Mike to prepare for an event on the Black Horse, and, you know, we're not getting any break in tea times or something like that. So, you know, there's sometimes these competing priorities, and you have to collaborate and find a compromise How have you found that conversation and in a big operation? What kind of sort of insight would you give people who aspire to those sorts of Beth Pages, Longboat Keys, Desert Mountain, that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, that's really insightful. And, uh, you know, you can't be a silo operation, right? You sort of have to be open to all the things that are going on. So there's basically at our place six different businesses inside a big business, right? There's food and beverage. There's a marina. There's golf operations, which is different from golf course maintenance. There's the resort. So there's a lot of things moving. And some of those people are, you know, collaborative, like you said. And some people, you know, are a little more quarantined off and, This is their boundary, and, and, you know, you have to kind of move in and out of that, you know, based on. For me, I think the biggest thing is I don't really have a dog in the fight, I'm fortunate; I get to do pretty much everything I want. It's not a big deal, and eventually, you know, if you need to move a table somewhere and you need a vehicle to do that, then you have to kind of go through me. If you need to book an outing and, you know, you need the course set up at 8 o'clock, eventually it comes to us anyway and it kind of gets done on, on my terms. Every day is different. I just try to live in the moment and try not to look back. I've been there 15 years. I can't tell you that I'm 100% that way. You know, maybe I'm a little quicker to the punch, uh, you know, with somebody that I've worked with the whole time. Uh And maybe a little easier on people that, you know, just line up with me philosophically. But uh, I try to have an overall game plan, you know, not to use a, a kind of buzzword these days, but mission statement. You know, I'm here to help you out. That's my job.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Again, because, you know, the sort of archetype, right, or the trope, I guess, is the word nowadays, the old caddyshack trope, right, about how we like to stay cordoned off. You know, we weren't well educated. We were just grass growers, right? How it's evolved and how, you know, you have to demonstrate that professionalism on a pretty routine basis, particularly internally with your colleagues. Now, let's talk a little bit about externally. You've got paspalum surfaces. Let's start out with a simple yes or no. Is it wall-to-wall? Wall-to-wall. All right, so you got paspalum everywhere, right? So... One of the things I've learned about resort golf over the many years I've worked with the Kohler guys, you know, obviously I pay attention to what the Bandon guys do. All the Kaiser things are really interesting. All the Troon properties are very interesting to study from an environmental perspective, right? Because you can say, well, they're very input intensive, but man, do they crank the rounds out. So if you looked at it like right. bushels of corn, right, rounds of golf being the yield, even though you put, a, you know, a fair amount in for the experience, you, you know, you, you get a lot out. On the other side, and one of the key elements to that, John, that I really think, and I'm wondering your two cents on this, and especially that you've got past Balum. I always get the impression you guys want to do as little as possible when you got guests there to disrupt the experience. Your job's to stay out of the way, produce those conditions, make sure everything's set up the way it needs to be, make sure that guest satisfaction surveys are, you know, four and a half to five, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you don't do things gratuitously. You do the best you can to stay out of the resort guests' way and really do the best you can to not disrupt. And I wonder what you think about sort of that mindset versus maybe be what you see with superintendents that are a little bit more protective uh well you know you can't have all those things and we can't keep up with those things H- how do you view the sort of way you manage your surfaces not to be disruptive of guests and maybe the i sort of gotta do it no matter what even if it disrupts a mentality we sometimes
1: have yeah, there's a, a lot to unwrap in, in that question for me. I would consider myself sort of old school, came from a, a different time when we sort of rode grass hard and put it away dry. And I was, uh, you know, telling somebody just the other day that, you know, if you stood over a putt too long, um, I would put holes in your <laughs> golf shoes and put sand right behind it. So that was kind of... My approach, I think one of the things that has worked out for me is that Past Palum isn't really that type of animal. It doesn't do as well. Also, I get an opportunity to be closed because of the way the resort works. <sighs> for a month at a time um, at each place in the mm. summer. Mm. So we try to pack whatever we need to do to be disruptive in, in that timeline. For transparency that anyone's listening, I reached out to the doc here to see if he would let me come on and talk because I'm very big into data, and it wasn't something that I was into at all. You know, mm. um, I felt like past pound was a death sentence for me. <laughs> I went to Longbow Key thinking that I could make Bermuda grass work because that's what was planted there and how the environment works. Water doesn't get any better. And eventually uh, we took a member from Montauk. Really, she's a member at Montauk Country Club during the summer and she's here in the winter and she just said, what are you fighting it for? People before me used to plug bad areas with past pound that they were testing and they would be pretty successful. But the way I was looking at it was this grass is never going to be a good greens grass. Why would I ever even acquiesce? And eventually you know, one of the greens became 80% past Palum. And she said, that's the nicest green we have out there. Why are you fighting this? And Mm -hmm. it was one of those aha moments. And I thought, you're right. So I always tell Margaret, I named a little road after her and I told (laughs) her she saved the club. You know, she gets a big (laughs) kick out of it in her New York accent.
0: It's so great, John. And we all have those moments sometimes, right? You know, you just don't see something sometimes staring you right in the face and, and having that epiphany it's almost like a great golf shot. It just makes you sort of love this field, uh, even more. And it's really fascinating too, that you talk about your own evolution. And when we get back after this break, John, we're going to start talking about what you conned me into doing to get you on here, which of course was, (laughs) was not a hard job because, uh, one of the main themes of the show has been to be more data oriented, right? Because in very simple Northeastern terms, right? The numbers, the number we can argue about, you know, my, how you get the number and this that and the other thing but eventually right John the numbers the numbers so when we come back we'll have that conversation I'm Frank Rossi I'm with John Riley from Long Key this is Frankly Speaking we'll be right back As John and I will be discussing, disrupting putting greens for soil management remains a sore spot in the golfer-golf course superintendent relationship. Yet managing soils remains vital for putting green success. As we learn to focus more on organic matter data, not just routine coring, we see that Dry Jack services that aerate, top dress, and amend in one pass with less disruption than coring is your go-to tool. Dry Jack services offer the most effective way to get the most out of your sand applications, which are key to organic matter management. Contact your local Dry Jack representative for more information or visit dryjack.com. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. Frank Rossi here with John Riley of the resort at Longboat Key. John, as we mentioned before the break, you didn't have to twist my arm too far because Gosh, uh, a superintendent asking me to talk about data when it's normally uh, the shoe is on the other foot and I'm, you know, watching looks of disdain and disgust and apathy and, you know, just another one of those things Frank's talking about that I don't have any time for. So immediately I was attracted to the conversation. And John, you've been very outspoken about it, uh, certainly on the Twitter X platform these days. Let's start with why it started to make sense to you.
1: I guess. Probably going all the way back in my career, failure has been sort of the best teacher. I can tell you, I worked at Rolling Green. I can tell you, I went to Rutgers. I can tell you, you know that I know a lot of great people in the industry. I had great tutors when it came to Pass Palum, but the things I did wrong were the things that continued to teach me. I have a little a little hashtag thing that I call Wrong Again Riley, and I really <laughs> believe that. You know, you're a Cornell guy, right? So I have a little bit of background in psychology, and I'm probably getting this wrong, but if you're not good at something and you have a tendency to think you're good at it, then it's a real problem, you know? So, like, if we all think we're above-average superintendents, I mean, that can't happen, right? If I cook at home and the wife always tells me it's good and I think I'm a good cook, that's great. But if I play golf, I think I'm a good golfer, and I shoot 92, then I know I'm not a good golfer. So that's where data came in for me.
0: Okay. One of the things that came to mind immediately, John, was... That approach to accepting that the wrong-again-Riley ethos that you've embodied implies that there's regular discomfort that you sort of question yourself and you wonder. Data helps explain it to you. But I want to start with why I think a lot of superintendents don't go after data because it might make them uncomfortable and they don't want to question their programs, right? God forbid you should question somebody's fertility program and say, what the hell are you putting 13 things in the tank for? God forbid you do something like that. But, you know, of course, suggest that they should use data and, you know, you're on the other side of the fence. So, I'm wondering how you've sort of learned to live with a little bit of just the discomfort. And at least if I've started to see, you're trying to make sense of it. You're not just taking the data, but you're trying to interpret. Your little chicken red scratch on slides is famous around the research table in the Rossi <laughs> lab. We're messing around with the GS3. Talk to us a little bit about the discomfort sometimes of questioning yourself and recognizing that you got to use the hashtag wrong again, Riley.
1: I think the clearest picture of that for me is the stent meter, right? I didn't think that thing was an agronomic tool. That's what everybody I grew up listening to. It helps you keep the door open when you got a nice breeze and you can get some (laughs) little air when the air conditioner is not working in the office, yada, yada, yada. So we started with Paspalum, and I knew it had to do with moisture, so we could really cut it low, but every once in a while, we were on this yo-yo deal because people were telling us, you can't mow at that height. It's never going to happen. So I would mow really low, then raise it up when I knew. The golf course is 45 holes, so the members and the guests kind of matriculate differently on different days, men's mm. days here. So uh, if I can get it you know, above 12 here, I can take a little break on the other side. And I was doing all this stuff, and the poor mechanics and real <laughs> techs, I mean, it was nuts. And But at the best, it was whack-a-mo. Right. I got it right. Got it right. Got it right. Scalp. Ah, I got a plug, you know, that kind of stuff. And the stint meter was the first thing I could kind of collapse all this data into. Just come up with a number. It was three foot hunk of metal, three balls, five greens. Anyone could do it. Didn't need to speak English. Just write the number down. So it became this freeing thing. And then I wanted to tell everybody else, and they were like, here he goes again. You know, because I've always been a guy that put a lot of different things in the tank. I've always been the guy that, <laughs> you know, verified too many times. You know, I, I should own a golf course, but nobody can play it, you know. And then, then all of a sudden, now I don't verify. This guy's out of control. So I always have been a loudmouth about what we were trying to do, and I think that's the way I handled the uncomfortableness, right? Mm-hmm. I just blurt it out and hope you know, I can get some kind of feedback from it, even if I'm, you know, riding down the road and talking to my dogs.
0: That's right, (laughs) which is sometimes all we're left with. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what I don't know a lot about, how you use it internally. And then I want to talk about how you're using it externally amongst our diaspora, you know, collection of superintendents and turf industry people. Let's talk a little bit about how data has helped you Not necessarily managed differently, but how you talk to the golfers and the pros and the guests that come on through.
1: It's interesting how little even golf professionals know about sort of the everyday approach to what we do. You know, they know that we cut grass and we cut cups and we move the T-markers in the wrong direction and you know, they know when we didn't do something right, at least the golf ops side, and just like everything else at least at Longboat, it's been this progression, you know, I came in with that you're a shirt folder, I'm a golf course superintendent, you do your thing I'll do and now, I play golf three times a week with the same group that my pro plays golf with he loves to play, I love to play and what I learned from that, even though I was uncomfortable in the beginning, is I get to control the narrative, and when you start to talk to people who are using your product about the stuff that we're doing i mean their head explodes and there's always new stuff we're running the turf rad now and everybody's like wow and for me internally i don't say a whole lot about that but you know i'm really ready to open up externally about the fact that i got a half a million dollars from the state of florida to redo my irrigation a private probably one of the most roi based clubs in america and they gave us a half a million dollars to redo our irrigation. And now I'm running this machine, and I'm like, you know what? I've been wasting water. You know, no one wants to say that, but. Right. That's the reality of it. So, (laughs) I think with the members, it's face to face. I love being there. I'm not an office guy. Mm -hmm. I have two dogs because we have a goose problem. So, that gets you in. People want to pet the dogs and people that I don't, you know, maybe hang around with all the time. It's interesting. I live on the island. That helps. It's sort of a a cottage place. You know, once you drive on there, there's not a whole lot going on. And the golf course is. The coolest thing, if you ever get to come see us, is they're right there on the road. There's no hills, there's no gates, right on the Gulf of Mexico Drive. You can see all the way across each one of them. And in the beginning, you know, when things weren't too good there, that was a hard thing to do every day, to come in and see stuff that was struggling or oversee that didn't last long enough or whatever the case may be. And I still deal with that because that's my head on the swivel mentality, but it's really worked out. Most of it's happy time and, and the ability to communicate. I go to the men's meeting. Ah. I'm doing a stand-up comedy routine. You know, it's not <laughs> like I'm trying to fight it off. Right. I got booed the first day I ever said something about <laughs> past pound because all these people were interested in past pound, mm. And they thought that the course was going that way. And I said, listen, this is a freshwater grass that mm-hmm. is salt tolerant. And That's they right. just wanted to string me up.
0: That's right. Well, you know, a, a lot of times uh, I, I had Chris Zugel on many years ago. and Chris used to talk about up at Whistling Straits with Poa being the art of war, Lao Tzu's, the art of war, right? <laughs> know, know thy enemy, identify thy enemy. Yeah. And you guys had identified that enemy as Paspalum. So you got all the soldiers, all the golfers, you know, effectively thinking this is the enemy. And here comes this guy saying, no, this is going to be our, our long term solution. So let's take that. You've got this grass, you've sort of figured out how to navigate the sort of internal world of golf ops and the guests. What about your crew? You know, we talk a lot about actionable data. What are you thinking about actionably from the data you collect?
1: It's a big operation. It's 45 holes, But one of the courses is 27 holes, so when you're teeing off, I'm teeing off my 10th hole. So there's really 72 holes of golf, or a rotation of that. So there's a lot of stuff that has to happen, and everybody that's listening to this knows that the majority of that in the morning, at least for setup, is in the dark. So especially when we're in seasons. And majority of my staff doesn't speak the same language primarily as I do. So numbers and colors, which are part of all these apparatuses that we use, is a big thing. And as much as maybe the uh, growing up in America not being big on math, that's not the same with the cultures that I deal with that are superintendents, assistant superintendents, spray technicians, that kind of stuff. So math is a little easier of jump. And then all we did was find five Mm -hmm. greens, two on the front and the back nine of the 18-hole course, and Mm -hmm. one on each uh, nine at the 27-hole course. And this was tough for superintendents because they didn't know what they were going to do that day, jaratively, and real technicians. So they would stamp those greens that we knew were the same all the time, and we just rolled that section, stamped them before everybody gets in, and then made a decision on what we were going to do every day. It took a long time. It was way outside the box, even for a guy that likes to think out of the box like me. But it really turned quickly. And the first people weren't my superintendents, guys who, you know, come from the same backgrounds as me, but the people in the field running the people. And uh, they took to it quickly and have helped me. And it's sort of been a give and take of how about we do it this way? How about that sort of was the foundation. Now it's a lot different with the GS3 ball and all the data that we have collected. You know, if you're driving in as a superintendent, you either the night before or that, you're kind of processing what's going to happen. Imagine being a superintendent working for me, and you have no idea whether you're going to mow, roll, -roll, pre-roll, double-roll, you know, so it's not the easiest, but it's turned out to be the most translatable inside the group.
0: Now, the way you internalize it, John, right, you're looking at some data. We'll wrap up on this here. We'll come back and talk about the megaphone you have to talk about this, <laughs> uh, you know, stuff that I just love. Got recently got under everybody's skin about this core verification thing. We're going to get to that.
1: Oh, you want to get somebody going? talk about? Oh, yeah. We're going we're we're to get a million get listeners.
0: Going. We start talking about core verification. But before we get to core verification, I want to talk about how when you look at data sometimes and it says, don't do anything, John. John, don't do anything. Are you able to actually not do something? Yeah. Does it take more discipline to not put those things in the tank? For sure. Does it take more discipline? And I'm not talking about, you know, the nimbleness, like you can't spray because they're playing, right? I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you're talking about mowing, rolling, whip, whatever you're talking about doing, right? Sometimes the best thing is to do nothing. Number one, do you think that that's an issue for the modern superintendent? And number two, how does that go for you?
1: Yeah, it's definitely an issue because I'm an old superintendent and I want to do stuff. You know, I like to do stuff. That's my job. But I say it a lot now. What I'm doing today is affecting what's going to happen February 28th and if i don't think that way and it, i didn't get there overnight like i used to say when i would go into interview with people cuz i got in this business as a second career you know i had to move to get to where i wanted to go so i had to have like some value to people when i sat in front of them i'd say hey today is november whatever but in my mind it's december whatever mm-hmm. and so it was an easy jump for me to think about november 28th to february 28th even if it's a leap year, but you know what I'm saying? That what I do today or don't do, what I don't do today is it's going to affect February 28th. And if you shift that thought as a superintendent, it opens it up. So I don't think about not doing something, but not doing something is doing something. Does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense. And that's a perfect place for us to wrap up for this segment. I'm Frank Rossi. I'm with John Riley from the Longbow Key Resort. This is Frankly Speaking. We'll be right back. John's season on the Gulf Coast is just getting started. Where you are, your season might be wrapping up. No matter whether you're planning a nutrient management program or executing it, the pros at the Plant Food Company have the products and services that support the best playing conditions in the world. So as you're putting together your nutrient management program, trust your Plant Food Company rep to provide you with the latest technology that supports plant health and maximizes playability. Learn more at plantfoodco.com. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. Frank Rossi here with John Riley at the resort at Longboat Key. John, when we wrapped up, you know, we were talking about the data and how you take action and sort of how you sometimes, you know, have to sort of struggle to not take action. But for sure, over time, right, it's a burden to take this data, to make the adjustments. But then what we've learned up here is, you know, you take clippings one year, two years, three years, you got the data in there, you start to set targets I find it's almost like, as we describe machine learning, you intuitively start to know with just a couple of quick measurements, oh yeah, okay, we got to do this, or yeah, I can tell it's one of these days, let's just confirm it, yep, we're good there. It gets quicker and easier the more you do it, the more you see trends over time, and the more you know when you start looking at turf rat or the stuff Bill Kreiser's doing with Greenkeeper, where you start to try to train the machine to do some predicting for you, it's like, hey, John, it's... These conditions at Longboat Key today, you can expect 11 and a half foot greens with 22 percent moisture. Your protectants are in place. And soil fertility looks good. You can roll over in bed. Do you think we're a little bit afraid we may actually get that good at it where the data could start to replace you? And is that a fear that you think keeps superintendents from doing this?
1: I think change is always the thing that keeps people from doing anything, you know, if you (laughs) you look at it globally. Yeah, yeah. I had a conversation the other day. Somebody was like, you do all this stuff, you know, you should get involved in maybe an environmental award or this kind of stuff. I'm like, if I need to apply for an environmental award, I'm in the wrong job. I mean, that's what I take (laughs) care of. I'm trying to do the least amount of stuff for the best outcome, and that's been a shift over time. And I think the data train has helped me understand that, and it allows me to quantify I love golf. I love great greens. And I would double mow every day, twice on Sunday if I could. (laughs) And now we're using that, you know, we skip hundreds of mows, multiple hundreds of mows a year. And things that I didn't ever think about five years ago, three years ago, this sort of exponentially helps us or helps me be better at taking care of my place, which your last segment talked about, which is doing less and getting more. It's not linear let's face it, but to be open to that is probably the first step, and I think that's what I'm trying to shout from the rooftop. It is a little extra work to do less on your golf course, which gives the place back, like you said earlier, gives the place back to the players, but we're just not built that way, right? We're kind of this foxhole mentality. We're the person who gets it done. You wouldn't be able to get in here if I didn't plow the front (laughs) yard, you know, that kind of stuff, so that's, that's sort of how, that's our makeup, so it's not easy for us to do, but you're not incapable of doing it. In fact, it frees you up to be more useful to whatever facility you're, you work for.
0: It's interesting, John, and clarify this for me if you can. Does it seem invariably when you start to get data, you actually inherently notice you can do less, right? Because you guys aren't necessarily, like you look at guys at private clubs, right? I look at them and say, you know what, why, you know, why don't you do lists, you know, saves you this much money that Frank, I don't get paid to save money. I I get paid to provide these conditions, right? You got it wrong, brother. I don't get paid to save that money. In fact, I got (laughs) to spend this money. Otherwise, they're going to take it and give it to the sweater folder, right? So we have to be really careful about this, John. Would you say off the bat that using data, I I don't want to say more efficient, but let me say more efficient. Let's say you're getting the same output. You're still providing the maximized guest experience, but you're telling me data has invariably or almost always let you do less to provide those same conditions?
1: Absolutely. Three member guests in a row that on stag day, we spike, hop dress, roll it in, and don't mow. Stag day. And people come up to me that night when I'm at the thing and tell me, these are the best greens I've played all year or that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's how people are supposed to act, that your member guests are supposed to, right. to build you up. So I don't take it too hard. But one of my ego-driven things, because unfortunately we all have them, yes. is that you can call me from the Ringling Bridge six minutes from where I am and say, John, I need a tea time, and you'll play on really good surfaces everywhere, and you don't have to make it two weeks ahead of time or that kind of stuff. So huh. that's what data does for us. We know that we're giving you a standard every day uh, when we're open that you're going to enjoy as a guest or a member or even somebody who works there.
0: Yeah. Okay. So listen, now let's go down the wormhole a little bit as we wrap up our time together. The GS3 has become a very interesting tool. We're playing around with it. There's other researchers doing it. We've been a little bit back and forth with Cole Thompson at the USGA trying to understand the device Certainly when you start to use it, you know, we started to compare it to the stint meter, uh, you know, a ball on the stint meter and trying to calibrate it. We use it a lot for some of our footwear research that we've been doing with FootJoy for years now. But one of the things that still perplexes me, and I think you identified it, there seems to be a propensity when the greens get faster that sometimes they're not as smooth or they are not as true. And first I want to start with, because that's very interesting, right? Because we're all going for fast, but we don't realize, and I can tell you, depending on the footwear, that stuff's going to be even worse on the bumpy side. But really the first simple question, in your mind as a golf course superintendent, when it says those greens are bumpier, do you think that matters? Do you think that the average golfer notices it? Do you think someone might miss a putt because of it? Does smoothness matter?
1: Yes, yes, I do. do. I think that Okay. does it matter over the length of the putt? One of the USGA guys opened this up to me. Because I kind of forced them into giving me the ball, and then I ended up with two of them because I told them, listen, I'm a big, loud mouth, and I'm going to make fun of you guys if you don't get me this ball because I want this ball like you don't believe. But he basically said, you know, it's that last three feet, right, that really, really matters. And so first you've got to throw out speed. There's no time variable in there. It's just how far the ball rolls off a hunk of metal. That's right. That was a mistake from the start, and I never knew that until I started using the GS3 ball. I'm like, this is not speed. This no. is just how far that thing rolls off this metal. So for a while, I wasn't using it as a number, and I was just looking at smooth and true. And the biggest advertisement for that, in my mind, is as a golf course superintendent, you want to hear that your greens are fast. I've been hearing that I'm making more putts. The weirdest thing that happened to us this year, after 14 years, we finally got re-rated, and the rating went crazy high. We mm. wanted... Guys were saying, uh, we get screwed when we go to some other place because this place is way harder than the rating says it is. And then the rating's like as high as Pebble Beach now. Whoa. And so then now they're all making putts. So their are handicaps and plummeting because <laughs> everything's going in. So, I mean, I literally had a guy shoot 71 and he was complaining. Now I'm totally screwed because I can't go back to Jersey. I'm going to get killed. To me, everybody else is upset. I think that's an indictment of how well we're doing on the greens by focusing on smoothness and trueness.
0: And you feel like the, the amount of data you've been able to collect and then correlate that. And this is the key, John. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that data is very interesting. But you and your equipment manager and assistants know the mower setup, the distance from the last top dressing, the last time you verticut, the last time you disrupted it, the last time you rolled or double rolled, the last time the cup was in this location where you're doing this, right? You're on the fly interpreting a lot of different factors here. Have you found the actionable smoothness and trueness data to be something you can tailor back to the time from a practice or the way the mower was set up or the height of cut that day?
1: Yeah, I think it's in the mower uh, more than anything else right now for us. And again, I'm comfortable with the fact that I might be wrong having this conversation. or You and I might talk again, hopefully just person to person, and I could tell you, listen, everything I told you in that <laughs> podcast was totally wrong. But right now, if I get the mowers uniform and I get my yield uniform and I get, you know, the afternoon, I don't have an after mow effect, then I feel more comfortable kind of coming to grips with whatever that is. And I think... That's the kind of stuff that gets overlooked, that, you know, maybe at the USGA, they they weren't ready for that. They, you know, they didn't really want to hear that. They don't want to kind of look at this as big a part of it as I feel it is. Mm. And it might just be a past-bound thing, right? But mm. I've been at tour events, like, shaking my head, like, seeing yields that are different from green to green. And these places are really good, and no one seems to care, you know? So I don't know what that translates overall to the end user the golfer but i know at my place it either circles back to plant health or plant performance and those two have to sort of they need to be consistent right, right? i can't just have lush greens and roll eight right but yeah. I, I can't be at 15 and thinned out because eventually on february 28th i don't have grass there you know, when everybody wants to play.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, since we started out a little bit talking about discomfort, has the data, have you gotten enough and getting confident in enough? And this may be, again, a premature question, but you know, no one listens to this anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, is it helping you feel confident that maybe, I don't want to say, you know, you're sleeping better at night, but that's, you know, if it was keeping you up, the performance and the 700 mos a year, and now you're at 300 mos I'm assuming right. you must be sleeping a little bit better or at least confident. And maybe that's the message some superintendents need to hear that I'm going to get even more confident in what I'm doing. If I've got numbers that give me that comfort.
1: Yeah, I think it just gives you the freedom. So, like if you're all about getting stuff done and doing different things, to me, I dryjected my approaches this year. I feel good on the greens, but it's not going to say I can just kick back or, you know, mail it in or roll over. I'm I'm now moving to different areas and then I'm thinking about landing areas and now I can get information on that. So, for me, it's more freedom to go do something else because I feel like I got it kind of covered. And then the way I'm wired, I'm always looking back at it, looking back at it all the time. But yes, if you've got family, you want balance in life, these are all things that are very important. These are tools. Measure something. If you do choose to listen to this, (laughs) measure something when you're done. You all do data anyway. If you get your phone and you check whether... You check, you know, when the sun's going to come up and the sun's going to go. You're doing doing data. data anyway. So do something that can really change your life.
0: Okay. Now, speaking of regrets, I bet you regret tweeting out about not airifying for 10 years on Twitter the other day, because you probably walked right into something you had no idea you were walking right into. And this is so great because it was just a couple of days ago. This will get produced and then distributed well after the fact. But I hope it rejuvenates that. (laughs) Are you sorry you sort of made that uh, tweet? And are you were you surprised by the sort of response that people gave you about, oh, you don't airfy, And I wonder if you couldn't talk about that for a second, John.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Again, I don't like to be cliche. Uh, is it Simon Sinek, the Y, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. We would get turf damage. We would get too soft. I had no measurement of that. I was a giant air fire, and there was a guy, Stephen Wright, uh, rest in peace, brother. But anyway, he was this guy chirping about, I don't fire, So I didn't airify my putting green, which gets, I mean, <laughs> you think that we get tons of rounds? But we get tons of practice. Like, people sometimes just join the club to practice, hit balls, and then hang out on the putting green. So I started there, and I thought, well, if this works, I'll take it somewhere else. And it did work. And I thought, ah, it's just one of those greens. Sometimes we have one of those greens that whatever you do, it doesn't matter. It's always good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very skeptical the whole time. Well, you're trying
0: to talk yourself out of it the whole time.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) And then I, I always say I haven't given up. I just said this year I didn't airfy, you know, so because literally the running joke. Early in my career was, don't go play there. The guy's got the place to wear up all the time. (laughs) And that was my thing, culture, doing stuff. That was what I did. So this is something that, you know, is a change in approach, but it's all data-driven, all of it. And stuff makes sense. When a guy across the world says, if you core-erify and you take all that stuff out, what's the change that you made? The percentage of your organic matter is the same, right? And then if I don't have a real definition of compaction, and I go and hear Dr. Nikolai talk about if you roll, you have better health in your greens and better performance in your greens, and you can mow less. And I'm scalping my greens with my mower, and I start to roll, and I start to get better with uniformity of moisture, uniformity of firmness, and the performance is better. Why take a hole out of a green that I can't change the organic matter at anyway? So that's what kept it going. I say that whenever I can. So yeah. uh, I'm used to people kind of coming back at me. But yeah. the cool part for me is I get to go to places now, and I get to say, why do you airify, Frank? Right. And you'll <laughs> chuckle, right? You'll say, well, <laughs> you know, you got to airify. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, why? And they'll say, well, organic matter. And I'll say, what? Most guys don't even know what their organic matter is. and then they'll, Or they'll say compaction. And I'll say, how do you measure compaction? And once you say that, that at least starts the conversation. In the case that I brought up the other day is we used to clarify as far into the summer as we could because we knew for six months we weren't going to be able to get out there very often. Right. So that, I was unaware, was causing me the trouble of February 28th. And yes. the other day when I saw just one green that right. I had given up for core I saw that's how I started all my seasons every year the holes from the last verification and that made me feel good frank right but then i rolled the ball on there and it freaking three times as bad smoothness and trueness and i realized i was wrong again riley and that's all i was bringing up that We learn, we change, science changes, things that we used to do that were standards aren't standard anymore. I haven't put sand down. I haven't put Primo out. I mean, this is a rabbit hole. You'd have to have 16 podcasts for (laughs)
0: Well, listen, that is a perfect place to end. Listen, John, really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. I know it's you know you guys are coming into it down there pretty good, but at least you don't overseed anymore, right? There's no overseeding going on down there anymore, is no, there? No,
1: no overseed. Pass pounds, good, good color where we are most of the year. So uh, Beautiful. We'll get a couple of cold snaps where it'll kind of get a little cardboardy, but it'll be better to play. So there's always an upside
0: to it. Yeah, but our our poor brothers and sisters in the deserts uh, of Nevada and California and Arizona, you know, they're coming into it and hopefully overseeing went well for For everybody out there. Listen, John, with all you got to do, really appreciate you taking the time. It was just a lovely conversation, and I hope you have a wonderful season, and I look forward to seeing you in Phoenix. Thanks a lot for taking the time, John. All right, my friend. Thank you. John Riley, director of agronomy from the resort at Longboat Key on the west coast of Florida. Over that bridge, you can call and see if you got a tee time and putt on those 12-foot greens that apparently doesn't do a whole hell of a lot to, thank gosh, and they're getting better all the time. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. Thanks you for joining us. Big thanks to John Riley. Frankly Speaking is brought to you by our friends at Dry Jack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass, the Plant Food Company providing nutrient management solutions to golf course superintendents to enhance playability, and Frost Inc. spray technology products who strive to make your spray day a great day. You can listen to us on Block Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Frankly Speaking is produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York, by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management, John Kiger. Graphic design, Nicole Rossi. Theme music, Tucker Rossi. And executive producer, Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.